Well, it is wonderful to see your bright and beautiful faces today. And if there's any question that I feel like over the last 26 years of my ministry that people have asked me, this is the question. Why don't I feel close to God? Why don't I feel close to God? I feel like a lot of people struggle with this question. If I'm honest, in my life, there have been times I've felt like, yeah, I wish I felt closer to God than I do, but I really don't feel that close to God. And I kind of serve God for a living. And uh, that's kind of important for me, right? But we can't base everything on how we feel. Uh, we, we know that feelings are not everything. Um, I mean, a bad burrito will give you a feeling, right? Uh, that's, that's not a good feeling, too. Uh, you know, a, uh, not being able to find gas in your city, that'll give you a feeling, right? Um, being called non-essential, <laughs> being called non-essential will give you a feeling. Being in debt give you a feeling. Eating great barbecue will give you a feeling. Uh, lots of feelings come and go. But when it comes to our relationship with God, here's, here's how we feel oftentimes. We feel like this. Now, here's this beautiful picture that's bright, it's clear, and it's colorful. And sometimes our relationship with God feels like that. But at other times in our life, our relationship with God feels often like this. It's not clear. It's a little dim and gloomy and cloudy and foggy, and I can't really see where I'm going. And because I can't see where I'm going, I feel stressed. I feel frustrated. Things are not meeting my expectations, and I'm starting to feel that on the inside when we feel like this with God. Now, I think there are some reasons why we feel that way. Um, one of the reasons why I think we feel that way is because sometimes it's just life challenges. Life has its ups and its downs, and we know that. Sometimes it's just disappointments in life. Sometimes it's just parenting. Sometimes it's grief. Sometimes it's COVID. Sometimes it's surgery. Sometimes it's the loss of our habits that we all had in the, in the beginning of 2020. Then we completely you know, adopted new habits by March or April of last year. And some of us still haven't broken those habits. And some of us felt like we were drifting for so much of last year because all of our habits were gone that we had become accustomed to. And, and, and some of the reasons why we may not feel close to God has nothing to do with sin. It just has to do with life's challenges. Second is limiting beliefs. Now, limiting beliefs are those beliefs, those are lies that we've accepted as truth. Like every thought that you have that comes through your mind doesn't mean that it's true, okay? Every thought that you have, it can be crazy. It can be true. It can be whatever, but you need to test those thoughts that you have but limiting, limiting beliefs are those, are those uh, lies that we've accepted as truth. Now, here's something that I read last week during our communion time here at Kernersville that I'd like to share, especially with those of you online and at Oak Ridge as well, is <clears throat> the National Science Foundation put out a quote uh, recently because May is Mental Health Awareness Month, and they said the average person has 12,000 to 60,000 thoughts per day. Of all of those thoughts that we have, 80% of them are negative and 95% of them are repetitive. Whew. Let that sink in. Let that sink in for just a second. 80% of those thoughts are negative and 95% of those thoughts are repetitive. Let me put it this way. 
if this 30 minutes or hour a week is the only hour you spend a week trying to fill your mind with the things of God, you're probably never going to be real happy with your relationship with God because you're never going to feel like you're going to make progress. You can't overcome these statistics in an hour a week. It's just not happening. However, it is something we need to be aware of, and sometimes our limiting beliefs make us feel distant from God. Uh, Third, workarounds. Has there ever been something that you wanted God to give you, but you never really asked him, and it was never really the right time, or if it was the wise thing, and you just evaded God and circumvented him and got it anyway, and because of that, you kind of go, I think I disrupted the harmony between me and God because I kind of got something that I didn't really ask him for, but I wanted it, and I went and got it. And because of that, we're, we're like, uh-oh, I think I disrupted the harmony between me and God a little bit. Next, as a relationship, for some of us, all of us probably have somebody right now that we can think of, of somebody that we've hurt or that's hurt us or somebody's hurt somebody, right? And because of that relationship, because it's not in good standing, there's a, there's a degree of disharmony we feel and dissonance because of that with God. Okay, and then last, it's just sin. You know, one of the reasons we don't feel close to God is just sin. We've, we've left God's best, as Pastor Jonathan's been saying, and we've made a selfish choice not to do what God wanted, right? And if we're honest, you know, one of the ways that we know we're sinners is take a group picture with a bunch of people. After you take that group picture, who's the first person you look at in every group picture? It's you. You're the first person you look at in every group picture you take. And if it's good, oh my gosh, Insta feed, Insta story, Facebook feed, Facebook story, website, ex-boyfriend, ex-girlfriend. Well, you know, we're sending that sucker to everybody. Front paper, New York Times, it's all there. So that tells us we've got an issue with sin. But I feel like God has given us a way to fix it. I feel like God has given us a tool to restore some harmony in our relationship with him and with people. And that's what I want to talk about today. Now, the reason all this is important is because Jesus has, he invites us to follow after, not just believe in him. Now, when when I was younger and I was going to church, I didn't really recognize that this truth was there. I didn't really recognize Jesus wanted me to follow after him. I just thought he wanted me to believe in him and just go to church. And eventually, if I ever got married, bring my family to church because that's what you do, right? That's, that was my definition of what I thought uh, I was supposed to do of Christianity as a child. Then as I started reading the Bible more and as I started reading how Jesus interacted with his disciples more and, and the truth was, no, 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 no. Jesus invites us to follow after, not just believe in him. And because we're following after him, it requires us to move, to grow, to change, to make a decision, to watch where he's going and to adjust, watch where he's going and to adjust and consistently do that. And have you ever tried to follow somebody in traffic to a restaurant? You're like, hey, let's all go out to eat. You guys just follow me. (laughs) And you get in the car and for some reason, your friend thinks it's cute if they just kind of speed on up in front of you a little bit and they get behind a truck or something and now you can't see them. 
And now you don't know what exit they've got. Honey, can you pay attention? Are they in that right lane? Do I need to get over? Uh, all right, hold on a second. There's somebody in my lane. Hold on. All right, speed up. Go, no, slow down, slow down. So you can get it. It's, it's, it's stressful. It's stressful to follow somebody that you can't see. And that's why it's so important that we be able to see Jesus as we're following him. What, you know, one, one way I learned this the hard way is when Krishna and I first got married, I thought it would be fun for us to go on a bike trip together. <clears throat> like both of us have our own separate bikes. And um, one of the things I quickly learned is people have different definitions of what bike trips mean, right? And so we get on our bikes and I'm going, my definition of a bike trip means we're gonna go fast, it's gonna be fun, and we're gonna talk at the bottom. Like that's, that's what I was thinking. Well, about five minutes into the trail, I start realizing I'm all by myself and I can't find, you know, Pokey Joe back there. She's, who knows where she's at? And I like pull over and I'm starting to just check email. Like, I don't know, she'll get here soon enough. I, and, and then I see her, you know, you, know, you know, pulling up to me. And then I realize, whoa, 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 whoa. We don't have the same, def- it, this following business is tough, right? So I told her from now on, Anytime we do any more biking, we're getting one of those bikes with the two seats on it, and we're going fast. That's just the way we're going to do it, baby. I, that's, just, that's just what's happening. But anyway, so, so following's hard if we can't see. And I want to go back to this illustration real quick. Following Jesus is definitely tough when we feel this way. Now, there are times in our life that we follow Jesus and we can't see Maybe it's just pain. Maybe it's just disappointment. Maybe it's just life circumstances. We've talked about that, where we've got to trust him even at times when we can't see him. And those, are, those happen. Those are, those are real. But the challenge for us is if we know that there's something in our life that we are choosing to do, there's a tool that can fix that, and God wants to tell us how to do it. So the Apostle John <clears throat> wrote... Uh, the book of John, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John in the New Testament, the Apostle John, he wrote John, and he also wrote 1 John, 2 John, 3 John, and then Revelation at the end of the Bible. Uh, he was the, the apostle, the, the disciple that Jesus loved. He was also the only disciple, the only apostle uh, that died of natural causes. The rest of all the other apostles were martyred for their faith. And he was the only one that died of natural causes. And he was banished to the island of Patmos later in his life, to which he received the revelation, is what we call the book of Revelation in the last of the New Testament. So John got to be a part of so many of Jesus's um, uh, teachings, miracles. And Jesus had three favorite disciples, Peter, James, and John. They were his best friends. Of all the 12, Jesus had closer friends than than all the 12. Peter, James, and John went pretty much any any big deal that God wanted to do and show them or teach them. Peter, James, and John were privy to those eyewitness moments um, that, that really were so, so powerful. So John writes this. This is John, who was an eyewitness to Jesus, lived with Jesus. He says, this is the message we heard from Jesus. We're eyewitnesses. Not somebody told us about, we heard this. And now declare to you, God is light. Now, let me stop right there just for a second. 
If you've ever in your life started pursuing God in a relationship with him, started reading God's word, started attending church, started worshiping more, started connecting in a small group, and all of a sudden you started feeling areas of your life that God was kind of um, illuminating a little bit for that you know you started needing to change because he loves you and he wants you to you know, live a better life and uh, you tweak these things about your life. That's because God's natural light just illuminates our lives. And we become more, things become more visible to go, God going, hey, I want to adjust and I want you to grow in this area, those kinds of things, because God is light. And there is no darkness in him at all. So we're lying if we say we have fellowship with God, but go on living in spiritual darkness. We are not practicing the truth. So if you say that you're a disciple of Jesus and you're still living in spiritual darkness, need to ask some tough questions. But if we're living in the light, notice this, as God is in the light, when we have fellowship with each other and the blood of Jesus, his son cleanses us from all sin. Now notice this, uh, back one more time. There's a, there's a connection between living in the light and we have fellowship with each other. There's a close connection there that John talks about. Next, if we claim we have no sin, we're only fooling ourselves and not living in the truth. But if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. Next, if we claim we have not sinned, we are calling God a liar and showing that his word has no place in our lives. So what is John teaching us here? What is the thing that he's teaching us to help us feel closer to God. It goes back to the verse 1-9, and here's, and, and here's what he's talking about. He's, there is power in confession. There is power in confession. Now, I don't know about you, but we have, if I were to ask 20 of you what the definition of confession means, we probably would get some different answers. I spend a lot of my work days, getting clarity with people on the terms that we're talking about to make sure that we're talking about the same things. One of the things that John means when he says confession is this is what he means. Confession means, the Greek word means to agree with God. It actually means, the technical definition means to say the same thing. When we say the same thing to God about our lives, about our issues, habits, hangups, whatever's going on, when we agree with God, that is confession. Now, when it comes to sin in our life, I really think we have a couple different decisions to make. And I've felt this way, and I guarantee you've felt this way before. I think we can choose to conceal or we can reveal. I think we can choose to conceal to God or reveal to God. Now, if I, if, I, if I choose to conceal and if I choose to hide my sin, if I choose to live that way, here's what I'm communicating to God. I'm comfortable in my sin. I'm comfortable in these dangerous habits that I've created. I'm, uh, I, I'm comfortable having secrets. And, the, and, the, and the, the challenge with having secrets is that secrets have power. You want to you uh, be able to dispel the power of a secret? Use confession. That's what happens. Another reason why I may conceal is God is, I don't feel that God is safe. Have you ever had a friend that you feel like is not safe? Well, if I tell that friend this, they're going to tell 20 people. They're just not a safe friend, right? Have you ever felt like God is not safe? 
It's another reason why people choose to conceal. The reason somebody would choose to reveal is they feel secure in his love. They feel secure in God's love. And they're like, you know what? Because I feel secure, I trust that I can share this with God. So I think we either choose to conceal or reveal. But the big idea is this. Confession is both vertical and horizontal in our life. Confession is both vertical and horizontal in our life. If we want to feel closer to God, especially in the area of of our sin and our brokenness, confession is both vertical and horizontal in our life. Let's start with vertical first. This is where we're confessing to God. And this is honestly probably the easier part of confession. This is where I just, and I wrote some of these things down. This is where I just agree with God about my thoughts, actions, habits, and it's not new information for God. This is where I become sensitive to the things of God. I'm talking to him about my issues and and I'm saying, God, I want to be sensitive to the things of you. And I know this is wrong and I want your help and I want to be sensitive to the things of you. This is where God feels safe. This is where I'm trying to restore the harmony between me and God right here. This is all about vertical and this is all about acknowledging. And you say, oh, Eric, what if I go to God about the same thing that I've talked to God about a thousand times. Doesn't he ever get bored or angry or mad? No. Because when you do that, every time you do that, you're acknowledging, God, this is my struggle and I want to see it from your perspective and I want to see it the way you see it. His patience will uh, be there for us. So confessing to God is important, that vertical relationship The second part is this, to which I feel like this is the more challenging piece for us, is confessing to other people, confessing to other people. James, who's the half-brother of Jesus, the leader in the Jerusalem church, this is what he said. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. What? Confess my sins to other people? What? Come on. Seriously? And this is what James is teaching. James is saying, this this community of Jesus followers is going to do life in such a whole different way than anybody else ever has before. And that confession to one another is part of what brings healing to the relationships when we oftentimes ruffle each other's feathers. It doesn't matter if you're a Christ follower. You're going to find another Christ follower in this world and you are going to ruffle each other's feathers It's just going to happen because people are people, right? But it's just going to happen. And and James is saying, this is, this should be a characteristic of how people live together. Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers for they shall be called sons and daughters of God. Now I know what we all think, right? Well, Hey, I talked to God about that. I talked to God about that. Well, the problem is that's awesome that you talked to God about whatever you did. The problem is there was probably somebody on the other end of a decision that you made that was hurtful. And this is where I think Jesus wants us to go a little bit further in terms of making things right. What if we could learn a phrase like, hey, I just don't want there to be anything between us. I just don't want there to be anything between us. Parents, do you know what it's like when somebody hurts your child? You know what it feels like when your child's getting bullied at school? You know what it feels like when your child is, gets left out of something, gets hurt, 
and you, you spend the night in their room trying to console and comfort them because they've been hurt. And as a parent, you just get frustrated and angry. And how could that person? I often wonder, does God feel that way when we hurt each other? I often wonder, does God feel that way when we hurt each other? So confession horizontally is really, really important. This is one thing that I have come to learn so, so much in my life because I talk to people all the time about fixing problems. And this is, this is what I've learned. Most of our frustrations are because of conversations we never had. Most of our frustrations are because of conversations we've never had. I'm so mad about, how can you believe they did? I can't believe that. Well, did you talk to them? No. <laughs> okay. I cannot believe you. Did you see what you had? Well, did you have a, no. Most of our frustrations are a result of conversations that never happened. And spiritual growth is all about developing courage and strength and trust in the Lord to begin having those conversations. So confession is both vertical and horizontal. Now, there are reasons we struggle with confession. There are reasons we struggle with confession with God and with other people. First of all, I'd say the first reason is, you know, we have a fear and it's a fear of conflict. We all to a degree fear conflict. If you don't, um, man, you, that, that I'm really impressed, right? Or surprised or a little scared. <laughs> but to a degree, we all fear conflict. Now, the problem is, is if we fear conflict so much that it keeps us from having the conversations we know we need to have. And that's the problem. That's where many of us live. I don't want to, I, I, I just don't even want to open the door to this, this conversation, this relationship. It could create conflict. I don't even see how the situation can get fixed, so I'm just going to avoid it. But what if, for those of you who fear conflict, what if you could help relieve tension in a relationship that's been strained for a long time? What's the upside of that? The fear of rejection. Eric, what if I reach out to them and they reject me? What if I try to have the conversation and they won't have it? What if I agree with you that, yeah, I've probably hurt somebody or we had some words or things are just not quite right and I need to have it. But what if they say no? What if they won't listen? Well, let me ask you a different question. What if we could all grow and mature in something called being vulnerable? What if that was a strength that we could grow in, regardless of if they accepted us or rejected us or not? You know, the scriptures say the fear of man is a snare. We shouldn't fear people. But we should have trust and faith that as we go into those conversations that God can open some doors. And finally, fear of God. Now, for some of you, you may be new to the party. And some of you, I don't know how you feel about God. Some of you, God was a, was a, a, you've had a very healthy experience growing up in your church or with some relationships that helped you, and you've got a very healthy perspective of God, but some of you don't. And here's what Jesus would say. 
Here's what Jesus said the picture he wanted uh, you to have of God. You remember a story called the prodigal son in the book of Luke? Well, the prodigal son was a story about how this son, uh, father had a son. Son did not want to live on the ranch any longer. Said, dad, you're as good as dead to me. Give me all the money coming to me that I'm due for the inheritance. I'm going and I'm moving to a different city because I'm tired of living here. I, don't, I really don't want to have any more relationship with you or with my brother or with your family business. It's just not for me. I'm out of here. Give me what's mine. See ya. Peace out. Well, he did. He got his money and left. Long story short, spent all his money, ended up broke with nowhere to go. And he had this thought, well, what if? What if I could just go back and work on my dad's farm? He had all this stuff. And he got this idea and he went home. And his dad saw him a long way off. And his dad went running to him to welcome him home, hugged him, gave him a robe, put, a, put the family ring on his finger, threw a feast, threw a party, said, my son has come home. God's perspective of me and you is just, ah, I know you're tired. Just, just come home. Just come home. Stop trying to figure this stuff out. Stop trying to make these decisions without me. I love you. I want to help you. Just, just come home. So the action step for us that I feel like that we all need to do in terms of feeling closer to God is staying close and clean. In other words, practice regular times of confession. When your conscience is dinged and you stop right there and you go, God, should I have said that? How did that come across? What was it like to be on the other side of me in that conversation? When you do that, that shows humility. That shows humility. And God gives grace to the humble, but he opposes the what? The proud. Anytime you find yourself in a proud situation, you're fighting God. God gives grace to the humble. Stay close and stay clean. When your conscience is dinged, stop right there. God, is there something I need to talk about with you here? And what that does is it helps you see life from God's perspective. It helps you see life from God's perspective. When I was a child, one of the things I love to do is uh, spend time with my mom's side of the family. And um, <clears throat> we would get together at family reunions, and I don't get to be a part of them much anymore because they're often on Sundays, and uh, all my family's down in South Carolina. And so it's hard for me to get down there and celebrate with them. But when I was a child growing up, it was a lot of fun. And I, had a, I have a cousin named Bert. And Bert and I would get into all kinds of trouble. We were the same age. And we would dream about, you know, playing football for Clemson. And we would, because all of our families, that was what they were into. And we would eat together and laugh together and harass our sisters together and just, he was just a great companion growing up. We couldn't wait to you know, see each other when our families got together because it was just a big catch up and fun and rough housing and, you know, that kind of thing. Well, back when I was around 18, uh, there was a situation that happened between Bert and I where I just, I did something 
that was completely disrespectful. And a lot of it was just boys being boys, but it was disrespectful and it was embarrassing to him. And, um, and then we just kind of went our separate ways and we went off to college and guys, it's been 30 years since Bert and I had any type of communication. So two weeks ago, um, I'm down in Clem, uh, Clemson, South Carolina. My uncle had passed away. Uh, he was a professor there at Clemson University. And, and so all my family's there, and, and, uh, it, and it was such a, a cool moment seeing people, just like when you go see your family and y'all have family reunions, you get to see everybody. And, and Bert's mom was there, my aunt, and um, it was just so good to catch up with her and hear how Bert's family's doing as wife and children and new house and all this kind of stuff. And so I'm sitting there talking with her, my conscience just kind of got dinged. And, it, and the Lord just kind of said, Eric, I think it's time. I think it's time you reach out. And so that whole ride home, Krisha and I were talking, we stopped for dinner, and it was just really the only thing I could think about was what happened 30 years ago and the fact that we haven't talked since. And so I really felt like the Lord wanted me to extend an olive branch and, um, because I wanted to. I, I wanted to connect with him again and apologize. And so I texted my cousin, got his cell number. And last Sunday, I, I'm sitting here writing out this text to somebody that I haven't spoken to in 30 years for something that I had done to him. And I don't know what he's going to say to me. I don't know if he's going to cuss me out. I don't know if he's going to ghost me. I have no idea what to expect. And I just said, dude, it was so good seeing your mom at Uncle Jimmy's funeral yesterday. And uh, I just hope you're doing well. She told me great things about your family. And I'm just glad that your family's doing so good. Just kind of left it alone. Well, within about 10 minutes, he texted me back. And he said, Eric, it's great to hear from you. It's been a while. Family's doing great. I hope yours is too. And then here's the moment where I just had to go, Lord, I feel like you're telling me to do this. And I just went, Bert, I deeply apologize for being a, and for our purposes, jerk. <laughs> I deeply apologize for being a jerk so many years ago. And I just value this friendship, this relationship. And then I started seeing those dots and I started getting a little worried. <laughs> you know the dots I'm talking about. <laughs> and he wrote back, he said, Eric, you do not owe me an apology. He said, the kind of person I was at that time in my life and you and we were just, you know, we were just into all sorts of stuff. 
but thank you so much for connecting. And y'all, a 30-year relationship that felt like this in about five minutes felt like this. And I'm embarrassed to say that it took me 30 years living like this with a relationship when it could have felt like this. What's a relationship in your life that I prayed before you even sat down to watch online or before you even came to this room? I prayed for each of you. And I prayed that God would bring somebody to mind in your life that you know I need to make things right because confession is both vertical and horizontal. Yes, God forgives us, but if we've hurt somebody, we could be experiencing this rather than trying to avoid them and feel like this. So my challenge for you, there's several questions that I want to leave with you. Feel free to write these down on your phone or if you have a great memory, use that. But these are questions that I use to just keep the conversation going. Number one, what misinformation about God do I need to unlearn? What stuff about God I just need to unlearn that's just not true? What is keeping me from agreeing with God about what's in my heart? Do I feel safe with God? And if I don't, why not? I need to unlearn some things and learn some new things. And number three, what is keeping me from having a conversation with someone I've hurt? What's keeping me? Am I afraid? Well, get in line. We're all afraid. Am I scared they're going to reject me? Well, get in line. We're all kind of scared we could be rejected. Are we afraid of conflict? Well, get in line. We're all kind of afraid of conflict. But knowing that you can go from feeling like this to feeling like this, it's worth it. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for my friends that are here in front of me and those watching online and at Oak Ridge. And God, help us to be the kind of people who keep short accounts, who stay close and clean. The moment our conscience is dinged about something or someone that maybe we've done to ourselves or done to somebody else, help us to come clean with you. I pray, Lord, that as everyone leaves today under the sound of my voice, God, that you would give them just one person to approach in their life to say, hey, I just don't want there to be anything between us. How can we fix it? And God, that type of confession, you honor that. You get involved in those relationships and we will walk from a foggy, dim, confusing, stressful place to a place that's clear and it's colorful and it's bright. And it's in Jesus' name I pray, amen.